Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, church. And if you've been following along so far, this is part four in our series called The Community of God. And this particular lesson is called The Four Friends. But we're not going to get there quite yet. Let's, um, let's remind ourselves of a couple of things that weave together all of these lessons. If you followed along so far, you know the story. When Jesus entered the world, he entered a cohesive community, well-prepared. They shared the same culture, language, religion, they had the same morals, the same values, the same names. They had everything all prepared for well over a thousand years. But then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his apostles into a world that was broken, fragmented. Nothing of these things were in common. We are in that world. And that world is still broken and it is still fragmented. When, if you're a Christian missionary in the 600s, the 800s, the 1200s, and first of all, by now most of you know there weren't a lot of missionaries going in the 600s, 800s, and 1200s, but if you were, you would have entered a divided world, a dangerous world, a world that did not share a common story or a common value. You and I are entering that same world. How else to explain that we can have people in our streets celebrating sexual attacks, kidnapping, and murder of Jews in our streets, the home of the, uh, the land of the free and home of the brave and all of that sort. We, we, who would have thought? But we don't share common values with our neighbors, a common story with our neighbors. We have very little in common human beings are divided. In fact, it used to be that America was called the Great Melting Pot. And then they decided it's better to look upon it as a salad. Instead of being all mushed into one, everybody stays different but together. And there are arguments to be made for that, no, no doubt. But the fact is, the world remains fragmented. We've taught a lot about um, the failure of top-down leadership in churches. Churches, when they, they rule and they link arms with the state, whether on the left, the right, whether it's a medieval king or a current president, prime minister, or the like, it doesn't change the people. It just controls them. It's a very efficient way of grabbing power over people and keeping that power. But that top-down church doesn't change their hearts. I was reading recently a couple of books on the Hundred Years' War in Europe. Both sides claimed they were fighting for God. Both sides probably believed that they were. Both sides had churches blessing and priests traveling with them and in the battles with them. And both sides brutally attacked women and children in the worst horrific ways and then knelt down to receive blessings from their church. It didn't affect their hearts. It was merely the power of the day. 
By the way, this has continued, perhaps not so dramatically, but in the last few decades, there have been several studies done in cities where churches are very, very common, as opposed to church, areas where churches are not so. For example, in America, the Pacific Northwest is generally unchurched. There are a lot of areas in the northeast of America that are generally unchurched. But then they would compare like and like populations as best as they could. And there are a lot of ways that they do this. And I don't want to get off track there. Just say they did their job. They did their homework. They did the research in a very scientific, well thought out manner. They compared cities in those areas with cities where there are lots of churches. Like in Oklahoma a city in Oklahoma, or perhaps a Columbus, Ohio, or a Nashville, Tennessee, or the like, Dallas, Texas. And what they found was shocking. There was no real change in the society. Now, while politics entered in, and they tried to factor that in as well, there was still about the same number of uh, out-of-wedlock pregnancies, alcoholism, <clears throat> addiction, and in fact, some of the petty crimes were about the same. Murders were a bit different in most. But it seemed that having a lot of churches didn't change the heart or the character of a town. Even if there were Christian universities there. And studying the patterns of students in Christian universities in university and their first five years out found top down doesn't work. Being told, gathered together and being told these are the rules, this is the way you are to live, didn't change people's hearts and ultimately did not change their behavior. In some churches, uh, they've already done all the studies. A church that I came out of, that I was raised in, found that over 75% of their kids within two years of leaving home left that church. And yet nobody yelled crisis. Because nobody talked about it. There are some outliers here. For example, like uh, Salt Lake City or Provo or somewhere in Utah. Any of those areas where Mormons predominate, uh, Latter-day Saints predominate, there are changes. But that's an outlier. That's not the norm. So we need to talk about, well, then what works? If, get, if getting a big church building brick and mortars around and getting people in. And in fact, in a lot of history, it was required that you be there. If that doesn't change hearts, if that doesn't change minds, and if that does not bring peace and a kindness and a love to society, a mutual respect, what does work? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. God is doing something new. And it's not going to require some sort of a, a power, a regional government power to back it up. It's, it's happening already, regardless of who is elected. And I know that's hard to, for people to hear. But regardless of who is elected, God is still king. And he's going to do his work. It's all about, will we join his work? But we will not be joining his work, linking arms with God, while we are still half-wrapped around the power center's of this world. We don't need to have particular people elected. We do not have to have social media trending our way. We don't have to have a redemption of TikTok and Snapchat and all the other. We don't need that to be who we are supposed to be and to do what God 
requires of us. The only evangelistic model that has worked in the 2,000 years past still works today. But it requires slowly, daily, intentional effort. There were many people who, who loved you know, Ashley Brilliant who put out a bunch of you know, bon mots, uh, some, some, some nice words, put out some nice sayings. And one of them was practice random acts of kindness. I would suggest to you that no, no, do not do that. Be intentional about your kindness. Think about it. Before you exit your house, develop a plan. Open your eyes. Be ready. Relate to people. This is what works. This is the only model that has worked in 2,000 years. Meeting an unprepared people, a fragmented, a divided people. This is the only one that has worked. Relate to people. Identify with them. Get to know them. Get to know their fears, their dreams, their hurts, their scars, their blessings, their joys. Engage them in friendship for friendship's sake, not for evangelism. You see, here's a key. I was raised to enter into friendships with the goal of conversion. To enter into any relationship, even any discussion, with a long-term goal of conversion. That is not what Jesus did. Did you ever notice that? He went around healing people. He fed people. But unlike soup kitchens run by churches. By the way, I'm glad they run them. Hungry people need fed. But is there an alternative motive where, all right, you can't eat unless you first listen to the sermon. Sing a couple songs. Jesus didn't do that. He took care of people because they were important to God. That was it. He did not enter these relationships with some sort of conversion as the goal. That's what we keep missing, I think. Minister to these people. In the truest sense of the word, you and I need to minister to the people into which we, we, we come into contact. We need to see their needs. And if we can take care of their needs, we'll do that. We may end up saying like Peter, you know, silver and gold have we none, but what we have, I'll give to you. I, countless stories in, in my life, my family's life, and in the life of people that we have befriended and, and that know what, or who have befriended us, talk about just simple things. One time at a church up north that I served for nine years, we asked people, we picked an odd number. We asked people to bless somebody that week with $17. And then come tell us the stories. It was amazing what happened. And we, some were college students and poor. And we said, some of you may need to get four or five of you together to get that $17. So do that. And if you can't do it financially, don't feel shame. That's all right. Let us know. Maybe we can bless you with $17. But we had people that found people on the street and said, what do you want to eat? And brought them food. We had people that had, went through a car wash. And as the people were wiping it down, handed them a $17 tip. And one of the ladies actually started sobbing. And our, our member took them over to a, a, a little place for people to sit down while their cars are being dried off. And said, what's wrong? And she said, this very morning, I asked out loud if God had forgotten me. Little acts, intentional acts. And our friend there 
did not then pull out the church address and say, be here at 930 on. No. He just leaned in and he said, Jesus wants you to know he sees you. That's it. That's what we do. That's, and, and that's really killer because people want it to be, oh, give me a sheet with a checklist so that when they say this, I say this. Whenever they do this, I do that. There is no sheet. There is only work to be done. Walk with them. If you can't meet their needs, walk with them. If you can, share and walk with them. That's it. This is Deuteronomy 6. We've already brought that up a couple of times. This is the Deuteronomy 6 model. But it's also the model of the Sermon on the Mount. And it is the model of the back half of Matthew 25. In the Celtic Christians that we're going to talk about here for a bit. They referred to this as being people's anamkata. The friend from the soul. No other goals. No hidden agendas. No open agendas. The only agenda is to love one another. The result is that the important phrase that I use so often, people belonged before they believed. We'll talk a lot more about that. We've talked some about it. We'll talk more about it because it's very important for you to know that if you're a house church of one, if you're a house church of 20 or 30, this applies. And it is effective. And if you're an introvert who has very precious few resources, you can still do it. And if you're an extrovert and you've got lots of resources, you can do this. All of us can do this. A professor in India invited um, his students home every week for dinner. And they, it got to be a very big thing. They would gather together and they would have their dinner and they would have discussions and they would, be, uh, they would have um, friendships. And the professor was a Christian. The students were not. But the professor never entered into discussions with them about Jesus. He never said, have you ever wondered why I bring you here? I'd like to tell you about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. He did not do that. Instead, he just fed them because he loved them. He showed them love and kindness. When asked why, he used a phrase which I have now used for over 30 years in ministry. He said, we look at them and we love them because they are of Jesus. They are created by our Father. They are beloved of him. And we love them until they ask us why. And then we will tell them of Jesus. That's become almost my mantra for all of these decades. And by the way, we continue to love them. Even if after we tell them about Jesus, they reject the Jesus story. Or they dismiss it without even consideration. We do not change our love for them or our behavior toward them. They're invited back to the other meals as well. Even if they never want to hear the name, they are loved by somebody who belongs to him. We don't diminish our love or care for them. Not in the slightest. Trust God. Trust the process. I've told the story before of a man we baptized who was in his middle 70s, who had been a rabble-rouser, violent man, a union organizer during the Marxist days of unions in Scotland by the River Clyde. You know, knee-breaker type people these were. His wife was a Christian, and he always thought that was his most stupid thing he'd ever heard of. 
But his wife had died. His wife had died about 12 years before. And it was a chance encounter in the little village of Barhead, Scotland in the southwest that made him just call me one night and he said, who are you? And what is this? And he was angry. And I said, well, I'll come talk to you. Somebody put a leaflet through his door about meetings that we were having. So we sat and talked. And the first thing I, I expected to get cursed out, you know, what are you doing? Putting, and when I say put it through the door. That's how you get your mail, your post in Britain. There's a little slot. You don't have boxes. They put it that way. So I expected to get yelled at. What are you doing? You're wasting my time, you stupid. Instead, he leaned forward. He looked me in the eye. And let me tell you something. That guy knew how to stare at someone. He said, where have you been? I said, excuse me? He says, I've been looking for somebody to ask some questions of. And I'm in my 70-something. If there is a God, I kept wondering why didn't he send somebody to answer the questions. And I said, I don't know why, but I'm sitting here now. We later baptized him, and he did quite well. He did great. I love Bill Paul, and I miss him to this day. People are attracted to genuine love genuine love in action saint patrick called this giving them the authentic sign by that time in the late 400s there was already this movement about how to do the sign of the cross if you're the priest how to do the sign of the cross if you're uh, a, a congregate whether you're supposed to move this way or move this way in what order i mean it was a big deal but that was not in ireland that was down in rome a church that had failed to do evangelism for literally century after century after century. St. Patrick said, there is a more authentic sign to give. That the authentic sign is love. The mark of the Christian is not making the sign of the cross, but living out the teaching of Jesus in love. As Aidan wrote about Columba, another saint around the same time, Quote, the best recommendation of his teaching to all was that he taught them no other way of life than that which he practiced among his fellows. I want to read that again, although it's in the notes. The best recommendation of his teaching to all was that he taught them no other way of life than that which he practiced among his fellows. People were taught to bring with them whatever gifts they had. Whatever talents you've got, just put that into service for the community. There are now advanced degree programs, masters and doctorates in Celtic Christianity. Because only the Celts were able to spread Christianity for nearly a millennium. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it gets into the, it it gives you the picture. Because they did not do the top-down thing, saying, here's the church, here are the rules, You've got to subject yourself to all of these things before we consider you a member. Instead, they walked in the community, set up shop, and lived and worked among the people, worshiping wherever the worship time happened to be. Not necessarily in a building or out. It was just, this is the way we live our lives. Put it to work, whatever you've got. And that worked. It turned the lights on in what used to be called the Dark Ages of history in Europe. There there were names given to people who were part of this movement. The names were not given by the top. 
They didn't say you are a priest of, you are a minister of, you are a... No, instead, these are the names that the people gave them. And I'm going to translate them out of the Gaelic or the Irish. They're two different forms of that language. Or the Latin, because Latin was also used in some of these writings. I'm only going to bring up four, which I consider the four major ones. And show you, maybe you can do this on your own. Or with whatever group you've got there. In fact, I know you can. Because it does work. It truly does. Remember, it works not because you've started with one and now you've got a hundred. It works because God told you to do it and you did. Whether you get results or not. It works because you went to work and you loved one another. In a variety of ways. One is called the light bringer. This is a person that brings information. Helpful information. For example, we have Christians in the medical field today who are providing on-site medical care. We have engineers in Christianity who take their vacation and go to nations where clean water is very difficult to find. And they figure out a way to get the water there. I'll never forget one particular instance in in, uh, Guyana in South America where there's so much aluminum and so much other uh, pollutants were poured into the water sources that uh, the lake was not safe anymore. And the people were really struggling. And they've been told time and time again, you're going to have to move your village. There's no way to get water to you. Where engineers went down from a particular church in Ohio, looked at it and figured out a way to, to run pipe under the lake to another water source and pump it in. And that was their vacation. What did they do? They brought light. They brought health. They brought life into the community. There are others. Some uh, taught about sanitation. Often very using the book of Leviticus saying we need to dig the latrines this way. And here's why. We can't be washing our clothes in the same water in which we go to the bathroom. We've got, and they showed them in Leviticus how to replan things and clean things up. And all of a sudden, the kids lived. And being 35 wasn't being old. They showed them how to eat. They showed them how to plant their crops. We support, uh, if you're part of our safe harbor, you support with your donations. Works such as One Generation Away, Grace Works, but also Flint Global, which goes and teaches people how to get more production out of their land, how to get better at their business so that they can bless others and feed themselves. These are light bringers. Just like Jesus, they heal when they can, they feed when they can, they clothe when they can. They do not preach the faith, they live their faith. They don't preach it, they live it. And they apply whatever wisdom they've got to improve the lives of others. You know, I have a certain amount of wisdom when it comes to psychology, a certain amount of information and understanding and education when it comes to neuroscience. And so when I go up to uh, Ohio, which, um, let's see, there were one trip in January already, there's a, a trip to Kentucky later, and then there's another trip to Ohio in February, and I talk to either medical students or nursing home administrators or psychiatric social workers, I don't walk in there saying, you know, wearing a t-shirt saying, ask me about Jesus. 
I give them information. And yet I do it with love, with humor. And guess what? It comes back to me. People open up. They'll tell me their stories. Very often, I won't sit down for four or five hours or get a break because during the breaks, they come up to share the stories, which they wouldn't have shared if somebody had not lived out love in front of them in a way that said, you can share the stories here. And I formed lifetime friendships with so many just by showing up and giving them some information about life, light bringing. To light bringers, making converts is not the primary mission. Living and loving like Jesus is the mission. What a change in evangelistic focus. Light bringers today can be scientists, engineers, medical professionals, school teachers, anyone who takes their knowledge and then puts it into action to improve the lives of those around them. In Celtic art, they are represented as the opposite of darkness. They bring light. Where there is worry, they bring peace of mind. Where there is sickness, they bring ways to stay healthy. Where there is pain, they bring healing. They are reminiscent uh, of Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the f- surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said, let there be light. Or, if you want something in the New Testament, they are reminiscent of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. All mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. They are the human embodiment of this light. You can do this. You've got some knowledge base. And by the way, uh, if you're thinking, well, I never went to university. I, you know, I don't know what I... No, no, you don't need to go to university. Some of the wisest men... I, in fact, one of the wisest counselors I ever knew only had a high school education and barely got that. But he had developed common sense, grace, and wisdom through the years. And he helped me through some pretty tough times. It has long been the fashion in academia to bring scorn upon light bringers when they enter a village. Because, oh, you've taken away all of their traditions. <clears throat> all of their traditional way of living in harmony with nature. Except that they didn't live in harmony with nature. They died. And they died young, scarred, and old because they didn't have health. They didn't have help with how do we deliver babies safely so mama nor baby are infected? How do we get clean water? And yet academia looks and says, oh, what we have lost. You know who doesn't say that? The people whose babies live now. They're happy. Another group, and again, translating from the Gaelic, you'd call it crossbringer. A crossbringer is called that because, quote, they bring their death with them. These are the brave. These are the ones who risk themselves on behalf of others. Here are soldiers, judges, law enforcement personnel, firemen. Here are the everyday people who put themselves in harm's way if that's what it takes to tell the story of Jesus in action and words. These people, you will never see a crossbringer use their phone to record somebody being attacked. You'll never see them holding up 
a phone and laughing, recording an argument and a fist fight in a fast food place. These are the ones who get between the attacker and the victim, even if they know that may cause their death because they're not afraid of death. They brought their death with them. They bear the cross. They've been represented by many things in in history. Think of the freedom riders in the civil rights era who knew that the last bus that went there was attacked, it was burned, and people were killed because they just wanted to bring equal rights to the races. And yet, they got on the next bus and went down anyway. Think of those who reach out to end slavery in our nation, the United States, or whatever nation you're in. In the United States, there is sexual slavery, but by far, the the biggest slavery is commercial, where immigrants are forced to work in horrendous conditions to turn out cheap products and told that they have to work to pay off their debts from coming here and their debts of being housed and fed. It's slavery. They'll never get free. Police have long been searching and working, but it is not the police that finds most of these originally. It is the neighbors who see something wrong and who develop a friendship with people and find out what their circumstances are and who then goes to the police and joins, who who goes to testify. He's not afraid to be involved. These are the ones who hunt for kidnapped children in Nigeria where Christians are being slaughtered in their hundreds right now, but the media doesn't think it's important enough for you to know. Where children are being kidnapped in their hundreds right now from Christian homes to be raised by terrorists or to be misused by terrorists until they are used up and dead. But our media doesn't talk about that. We know some about the hostages in Gaza, but the media doesn't like to talk about that either. But we got people who are crossbringers who will go in to find them at the cost of their own life if necessary. And they can, yes, often be seen wearing yellow uh, uniforms or sometimes even carrying a firearm. But they are also found in those who write letters to government officials asking them to defend the lives of the unborn or using their accountancy skills to help people in poverty or to protect those uh, who are being hunted or oppressed by predatory lenders and institutions. They are the people who step between the person and the world that wants to discard the person. Think of our work with the Louisiana State Penitentiary brothers, Life Row and Death Row. And think of the work of of Tammy and Ramona and how many years they put in this. There's no reason for them to spend their years doing this except for Jesus. And yet they don't go in slapping the Bible and yelling sermons. They go in serving quietly, teaching art, helping, writing letters. And because of them, I don't know how many people, but a lot of people are free. Some of them are free of prison. A lot are free in Jesus. They are called cross bringers. They're not afraid of losing it all for Jesus. You could go to Revelation 12, 11 for this. But I think my favorite uh, passage on this is Hebrews 11. Uh, it is, it is, um, it's rather in your face and powerful. <clears throat> Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. 
they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, <clears throat> destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. As the writer goes on to say, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Well, a couple more real quick. Friendship weavers. These are amazing to me. Absolutely uh, amazing. Only Christ can heal the, the divisions between us. We know that. But some in St. Patrick's team were known for never bringing judgment on others or cultures unless that was actively harming an individual. Instead, they entered into the culture and they healed it by bringing Jesus into it. The movie that was in America, what, about a year ago now called The Jesus Revolution shows what happens when older church-bound people decide to open up to younger people and just feed them and love them without complaining about their hair and their music and their clothing. And a revolution took place that is still affecting many hundreds of thousands in the world. Think of Andrew here. Just like them, he, just like him rather, they introduced people to Jesus. That's what we know most about Andrew. They introduce them to others as well. They connect they form relationships with people or help these people form relationships with each other. The, the freedom and, and religion people here in Nashville who work hard to get people of different faiths to a table to break bread and get to learn each other uh, and uh, uh, their whole lives as individuals, as real people rather than those people. These are friendship weavers. They live cross-shaped lives in that they bring heaven down into people's lives and they connect person to person i love these people they are amazing some are skilled family counselors some are church leaders some are neighbors who help overcome the petty arguments in the neighborhood others are those who are given the gift of hospitality which i'm just amazed at people that have that gift and then exercise it some have the gift of generosity they are always connecting People to God and people to each other. That's who they are. And that's how they serve their Lord. And then the last that I'll talk about are called the, the friends of God. The Keledi. Think here of a Mother Teresa who lives among the poor at their level and serves the poor. Or St. Francis who gave away his wealth and just worked with the poor. These are the people we think of as Jesus with skin on. They live as friends of God and they, and they love to tell the story of Jesus in word or deed. In my life, I think of Jerry Tallman or I think of those that went ahead of me like Leroy Garrett, Carl Ketcherside, some of our poets, some of our songwriters. They are Deuteronomy 6 people. These are the people that Jesus describes in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 as those that will join alongside of you and alongside of the Spirit. They live in harmony with God and you can tell, you can just tell by looking at them that they are in peace, at peace with God. They write our best songs, they write our best books, they are people that show us the path forward like Henry Nouwen who was top theologian and could have written his own ticket to riches and fame but instead gave it all up to serve one man 
in a hospital type environment. There's a community, a group where these were difficult people to serve. These weren't sweet handicapped people. These were difficult people. And he gave his life up and gave it to this one person with all the pain it caused. And there are no happy clappy stories at the end. But he gave his life there because he's a friend of God. And he's going to be a friend to this man. Many of these people are mothers. Who nurture their children. Love their children. In such a way as to give them a lifelong example of love and joy and faithfulness. Befriending children is befriending Jesus. And they know that. And they pour their lives in. Others are, are fathers. Or men with, uh, who serve faith as examples to younger men. A new study has been done. And they found that it's too complicated to go in here. But even if you're in a community where there are a lot of absent fathers. If there is at least a strong minority of fathers still present. It redeems the whole community. It is the greatest predictor for what their income can go to. What their education level can go to. Because these men pour their lives into the lives of the people there. That's who they are. All, that's how they serve the Lord. All of these things we've talked about. And we have to wrap this up. It, it really doesn't matter how little you have. Bring Jesus your scraps. Whatever you got left over of your loaves and fishes. Bring him the quarter you've got in your pocket. Give him the time when you've got 20 minutes free. Make sure you give that smile. Kindness. And see what God can do with it. We are perfectly positioned to do this. If you look at where our safe harbor people are. They're literally all over the earth. Look at the map at our website. And you will see we are literally all over the earth. We've covered some places. So whether you are one. A family. A group of friends. A house church. You are where you are supposed to be. And you are equipped to do what God wants you to do. Maybe not what you want to do, but what God wants you to do, you're already equipped. So, as we close an admonition, open your eyes. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, watch and pray. Look around. Do the small things. Pick up the litter. Pet the dog. Put the cart back. Smile at the child. Hold the door open. Return the cart. Like I said, share your food. Make eye contact. Open your hands, open your heart. God will take it from there.